Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration. It's your DC Spotlight for the week of July 25th, 2023. First post-Comic-Con San Diego uh, <laughs> recording. I'm very tired. It was uh, a really exhausting show. Did a lot. I'm going to have a lot of interviews coming later this week. I think like eight or nine, which I, I typically don't do that many interviews at the shows anymore, but a lot of people were insisting, so I was happy to do it. Saw a lot of friends, have a lot of people that are going to be coming on uh, later. Um, and, you know, when, when I later within the next few weeks, but all the way out to the end of the year as projects that they have uh, are coming. But yeah. as far as DC news, uh, there was a lot of it that came out of the show. I was not able to get into the uh, Night Terrors panel, which was really interesting. So I'll just kind of as an overview of the show, what I will say is we know a lot of the big Hollywood things that were going to be there got canceled and there wasn't a whole lot of it anyway, because a lot of the studios had pulled out, I think in fear of uh, the strike and just the timing wasn't uh, really just good for them. So the end result of that is you didn't have 3000 people lined up to go into hall H at any given time, you know? So those 3000 people instead were on the show floor which was both a good and bad thing. It made getting around really hectic because the show floor was crowded. It was like mid Friday, mid Saturday, the entire time from Wednesday preview night all the way through Sunday, just packed. <laughs> uh, but more foot traffic meant more sales for some, for a lot of retailers and a lot of artists and artists alley. And that's a good thing. Um, not necessarily all retailers, though, because when I talked to some dealers, uh, I was hanging out with a, a friend who longtime listeners of the podcast will probably know who I'm talking about. But a, a friend who, you know, he deals with really expensive books. He has a really amazing collection. Uh, we talked to some of the more high end dealers. You know, I'm talking people that have AF-15s and, you know, X-Men 1, Fantastic Four, Action 1, that kind of thing. For them, the show was just kind of as it always is. But when you think about it, if there's more foot traffic. If there's more people that would be going to Hall H walking around, those aren't the people that are going to be spending $50,000 on a book anyway, right? So yeah. you wouldn't necessarily expect those real high-end dealers to have more foot traffic. But in the past, I've always been able to just walk into a comic book panel, you know, maybe five minutes before it starts, including DC panels. Uh, and I can live tweet them or what have you. I tried that with the Night Terrors panel, and yeah, the line was too long. I, the, there was a Marvel panel right before it, and I think a lot of people didn't leave. Um, and I could have, you know, went up to the front and said, hey, I'm press. I sit in the reserve section. Let me in. Um, but I didn't feel right about that because it, it just would have been a bad look. So I didn't go to the Night Terrors panel. I did go to a lot of the other panels. Um, but yeah, I missed the Night Terrors one. I missed the Jim Lee one because I had to go to the Bad Idea Party. Um, but other than that, I covered the panels. There was exciting news. There's a new Tom Taylor led event coming out where uh, Gar from the Teen Titans has to become a Starro. We know he can become any animal. He has to become a Starro and he becomes a huge threat. <laughs> so that's coming. Um, what I'm most excited about, there's a Superman series coming. And I talked to Joe Casey. He's going to be the writer of it. It's called Neil Before Zod. And uh, I know when I play the interview, Rocky's going to be really happy because Joe Casey, when he, he was offered this and he went back and looked at the recent history of Zod and he sees Zod's got a wife, a daughter, he's a farmer, he's settled on this planet, he's trying to find peace and, you know, whatever. And Joe Casey's like, what the F? Like, what'd you guys do to Zod? Exactly. So he's bringing the 
he's bringing the bastard side back to Zod. He's bringing the evil back to Zod. So that's not coming until January, but he's super excited about it. Um, so that's coming as well. Uh, and then I got a chance to sit down with Raphael Grampa, talk about his Batman Gargoyle of Gotham series that's coming up. Um, just a lot of really, really cool stuff that DC has coming up soon. So uh, that'll all be coming out over the, the next week or so. Like I said, um, interviews with a lot of those uh, DC creators and some other creators as well. Well, So yeah, it was a fantastic show. I am super tired. Um, I literally had something almost every 15 minutes of every day. Uh, and then of course, after the show, I'm going to parties, I'm networking, I'm um, having fun hanging out with comic book friends. So, you know, did that to myself. I think Thursday night I got back to my hotel at 4, 15, uh, Friday night, three thirty. Saturday night was an early one. I got back to the hotel like one thirty, Um, and then, yeah, drove home last night and got home about two thirty AM. So as you can imagine, pretty tired, but, uh, but it's a great time. It was a great show. I heard a lot of good things from a lot of comic creators about, um, what a, a fantastic show it was for them as well. So if you ever have a chance to go, I highly encourage it. Uh, if you're a comic book fan, it's uh, there's there's nothing quite like it. Yeah, well, I can, so. I can tell you as someone who was uh, just watching, uh, listening, watching your tweets on Twitter and just watching YouTube, I have to say that the strong sense is just somebody on social media was that everyone seemed to be happier with it who was into comic books. And uh, every every comic collector I know, every comic book YouTuber, every comic book. Uh, person I follow who likes comic books more more than movies absolutely loved it and they 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 loved it and the coverage was great I enjoyed the you know the news I became privy to all the comic book news throughout the weekend and I was you know I I got the impression that it was very comic book centric and so it was it was good and all the all the stars from Jeremy Adams and Todd McFarlane were tweeting up the storm and it was a uh, it was pretty good it was it was actually quite enjoyable to just uh, peruse Twitter uh, throughout the weekend. Yeah, I mean, the focus wasn't was on comic book news because there wasn't movie and TV announcements coming out. Um, and, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because all the retailers, uh, you know, all the vendors on the floor, um, they're going to be go you know, going to the Comic-Con International Organization and saying this is what the show should be. You know, people are going to go see the movies and TV and they're going to watch the TV shows. They're going to see that stuff regardless. So it's going to be interesting to see if if San Diego even wants that stuff back. Uh, Cause I feel like it's a better show without, I mean, I've always felt that, but it sort of was proven out really interesting. Um, yeah. So yeah, we'll see. Uh, anyway, let's dive into the DC books uh, for this week. Um, I did get a chance to read them. Uh, we're going to kick it off with night terrors issue number two, written by Joshua Williamson, who I felt like every time I bumped, uh, turned around, I was bumping into Josh and we talked about this, that, the other thing. Um, not just DC stuff, but also his, uh, his Hasbro stuff, his GI Joe, uh, upcoming series sat down and talked to him about that. So that'll be coming as well. But anyway, a uh, night terrors Two, written by him. Art is by Giuseppe Camin Coley, Stefano Nessie and Casper Wingard colors by Frank Martin and Casper Wingard letters by Troy Petrie. So I thought this was pretty solid. Um, I, again, I'm, I'm enjoying the Night Terror story, like the main story. Um, the tie-ins less so, but I do feel like overall this week that the quality went back up. So first week, not so great. Second week, better. Third week, kind of a downtrend again. And now this one, we're going back up. So it's been quite the roller coaster. Um, but getting a chance to see Dead Man still in Batman's body interact with 
Sandman, the Wesley Dodd Sandman, who uh, he brought back to life somewhat with uh, some Lazarus resin that Batman had in the Batcave. Uh, he gets a little context into what Wesley Dodd may know about the Nightmare Stone, and it goes back to one of his early cases when he was just starting out. And uh, it's the case has always haunted Dodd. So even after Deadman gets the answers he's looking for, if not, you know, not enough answers to solve the mystery, uh, but it does give him some context. Does does give Deadman some context? Uh, he's like, okay, well, you know, I guess uh, we should you know, put you back under the ground before you start having a craving for brains. And Dodd's like, no, 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 uh, you don't get it. Like I told you this case haunts me. I'm, I'm in, <laughs> I'm in until the end. Like he's going to Wesley Dodds solve this. So uh, just as that's being said, they get a call from uh, red tornado. He says, come to uh, terrific Inc. Uh, the headquarters of Mr. Terrific, because there's something going on there. Uh, they show up there. And we find out that Dead Man still has a connection to Insomnia because he um, tried to uh, inhabit Insomnia's body, I guess. You, that's how I would put it. So there's still a connection there. And that leads Insomnia, well, not Insomnia actually, but it, it leads the Sleepless Nights to um, uh, Terrific Incorporated where we're not sure why exactly are they, are they after dead man? Are they after terrific? Are they after Wesley Dodd perhaps? Um, but they seem to think that they, that one of those three, maybe a combination of those three may be able to give them some information on where the nightmare stone might be. So we end on a bit of a cliffhanger as the uh, sleepless nights uh, arrive at uh, terrific incorporated and, um, and put out the lights, I guess you could say. Um, so we'll see where it goes from here. But again, uh, and I'll talk more about it when I talk about, you know, some of the tie-ins. Um, I still don't know that this is the best use of the DCU in terms of uh, these horror stories. Um, horror has really been coming up as a genre in comics. Uh, and so I don't know if, if it's that DC's trying to tap into that or what exactly is going on. Um, I have heard uh, from a lot of listeners um, who agree with you, Rocky, in that this should have been something that was happening in October. Feels strange to have it in the the middle of the summer. And uh, like I said, I, I, I do wish I, I could have gone to that Night Terrors panel because it would have given me a, probably a little more context with some of the things they were saying. Um, but it's been a mixed, sort of a mixed thing. The creators I talked to that are working on Night Terrors books seem to be having fun with it. But as you and I have seen so far, the, the quality from book to book seems to be a little inconsistent. What's interesting is some of the books I've liked the least when I talk to some other comic book content creators, those are the books that are resonating with them the most. So I don't know, it might just be personal preference. I was talking to um, a few different YouTube comic book creators and they're like, oh yeah, Nightwing, the Nightwing Night Terrors book was the best. It's the best one that's come out so far. Oh my God. That one's like through the bottom of my list, um, but others seem to be really enjoying it. So um, anyway, what, what were your thoughts on Night Terrors too, Rocky? Well, uh, I, I was hoping to get some more information on Insomnia. We got very little information on Insomnia that we didn't already kind of know. We know we already knew that Insomnia was was a well. We learned that we learned his name. He we knew that he was an, a former inmate of Arkham Asylum that was exposed to Lazarus Reign, and that heightened his ability to 
peer into people's dreams. In this particular issue, second issue, we learn that it was his name is Mr. Lucas, and that uh, he while he was in Arkham Asylum, he uh, he they always kept him asleep. They needed to keep him asleep because he was dangerous when he was awake. When he was awake, uh, the insomnia went in would always go crazy when he was awake and while at one point when he was awake he watched the uh, he was watching tv at the same time that it was revealed that the justice league had come back from the dead after being killed of course in dark crisis and that drove him insane and he said some rather interesting words he said the justice league must pay for what they are which prompts the question well what are the justice league it's a very odd thing for insomnia to say what they are that's really weird. What is the Justice League? I don't know, but um, it's interesting to me that I'm. You know, this is apparently is Insomnia's nightmare because Dead Man now, who now is possessing the body of Batman, can because of his connection to Insomnia, he can see Insomnia's nightmares just like Insomnia can see his. And apparently, this was a nightmare for Insomnia. Insomnia really views the Justice League as being almost part of his nightmare and, and horrendous. Uh, I have an absolutely crazy theory. Uh, which I'm just going to put out there, which I'm sure is wrong, but I think is insomnia pariah. Uh, pariah was always somebody who came back in time. He was the harbinger. He'd show up on Earth right before they were destroyed. Is insomnia actually some sort of a, a new wave version of pariah, where uh, pariah always used to witness Earth's destruction, so maybe now he's cursed to witness people's nightmares, and that was his curse, but then in, in Lazarus Reign screwed that, screwed that up and... Now he wants to get even with them somehow. Again, I don't know. Um, I'm just, I'm trying to find some rhyme or reason with this. I, I wish when you spoke with, uh, I doubt the writers at any panel could make sense of this because clearly none of these stories are connected. No one's really looking for the, looking for the uh, nightmare stone. Insomnia is supposed to be looking for it, but he really kind of isn't. Uh, I wish this was more exciting. Dead Man and, and Sandman. Sandman's kind of cool. He's got a background. He actually looked for the, he, you know, he had an early adventure where he put down a cult uh, and the entire, all the cult members were going to kill themselves as, as a way of bringing forth and manifesting the Nightmare Stone. But Sandman used his sleep toxin that put most of the cult members to sleep and only one member ended up killing themselves. And so the Nightmare Stone was not fully manifested and it disappeared into the ether. And where it ended up, no one knows. He spoke to the JSA about it, Dr. Fate and uh, the rest of the JSA, Alan Scott, Greenland, none of them knew anything about it. And so, but Sandman did, did and of course, Deadman resurrecting Sandman with Lazarus resin. Sandman now wants to finish the mission, uh, that the one mission he could never stop. And it was always bothering him that he never he can never find that, that nightmare stone. He wants to solve this mission. So it's interesting. We also know that Insomnia has a partner in the, in the waking world, and that is apparently they got control of Red Tornado, and that's the big reveal as well. Uh, again, just to remind people that within the Nightmare Realm, it's Insomnia that attacks and tries to manipulate and the heroes and find the Nightmare Stone. And in the waking world, uh, he sends his sleepless nights to attack any, any hero who is still awake. And that's uh, one of the sleepless nights has control of Red Tornado at the end of this issue. But overall, the story, st still, the story itself is slowly progressing, but it's very obvious there's almost no connections uh, between this and the tie-ins, which is truly unfortunate. Yeah, I, I got the sense in the writers that I talked to. Um, so they were they were basically told like, so say you're the, the writer on I don't know Superman, I guess. Well, I guess that's not a good example because that's Joshua Williamson. He's doing the main series. Um, 
I'd say you're the writer on uh, Green Lantern, you know, Jeremy Adams. Um, yeah. And, and I, I didn't talk to Jeremy about this. I'm just using it as an example. I did talk to another writer uh, and they told me um, that editorial came to them and said, when this was first announced and said, okay, Hey, we're doing this. And so you can have a two month break from your regular title and we can get somebody else to come in and write a story about your character, you know, the series you're on, or you, or you can do it if you want. So yeah, there wasn't. And, and again, that's good or bad to, to make that decision, but it seems like some, some writers have chosen to, you know, take the time off to work ahead on their regular story, their regular series. Yeah. Um, and others have said, Hey, I'm going to find a way to, to make this tie into what I'm doing. Um, maybe they feel a little bit more ownership over the characters. Um, but, but being that that was the case, that certainly shows that, yeah, the, the other series aren't really, imp they're not necessary, you know, they're not integral. So DC is running this event, just like they've run the last few events, you know, where all you really need to do to get the main story is read the main series and yeah, the yeah. other stuff you can pick up if you want, yeah. but you don't have to. I, I don't think that's the, the right way to do a series. Now, and I'm not saying that you need to be buying everything and giving DC all this money. No, what I'm saying is um, just have the main series, have it be bigger, have it be a weekly if you do, you know, because if it was weekly and we're talking too much, that would be eight issues. I think you could fit most of what's happening in these side issues into the main story if it was eight issues long um but the biggest know, thing is that there's no rules there's no uniform set of rules governing, no, they, governing like the nightmare realm yeah. governing the waking realm there, there there's different well, rules in different comic book stories and that's the problem and that's not, what takes us out yeah because they didn't go to them and say okay this is the story it's, it's not like they all had a big writer summit and said okay here's the story and when you guys do your nightmare books you know again you can choose to do them or we'll bring someone else in to do them but they get to do whatever they want. They get to do, you know, all, all they're told is everybody's asleep. Uh, if your character's asleep, you're going to write a story that, you know, is their nightmare. And, and that's it. Like, yeah, there's not, there's no cohesive plan. <laughs> you know, maybe there is when it comes to some, reading something like Superman. Cause again, Joshua Williams is nervous writing that and he's writing uh, the main series, but for the most part, no, they're just, they can do whatever they want. And that might give us some good stories, but then it's also going to give us some stories where things just seem out of control. But, you know, in, in uh, just to play Deadville's advocate, these are nightmares. These are dreams, right? So there kind of are no rules in dreams, but there's no, yeah, it makes for no consistency overall in the feel of the event. Um, so, you know, do, do, do with that what you will. Uh, let's move on. Let's talk about uh, Night Terror's Detective Comics, written by Dan Waters. Ricardo Federici is the artist. Brad Anderson on colors. Steve Wands on letters. Gorgeous, gorgeous art. Um, I suppose this is Jim Gordon's nightmare, if anything. Um, but again, there's not a lot of consistency. It starts off, and it seems like he's narrating it, but he seems awake, but maybe he's not. And then later, it definitely seems like he's not when he is looks like he's granted these powers, but it, the powers are turning his body into glass. There's this other group that we're introduced to from Dan Waters called the Good People of Gotham. They're, they they pray to some sort of powerful extra-dimensional entities, and they get power, and they're trying to 
uh, exact some some very harsh vigilante justice in the in the um, name of cleaning up Gotham. Uh, we see the young boy that uh, Jim Gordon had had rescued in the backup series that Waters did in uh, in Detective Comics previously. Uh, Sorrow. Uh, we see him meet his supposed demise. Uh, ties in even a little bit with what Gordon. Uh, when Gordon was Batman himself in the, in the armor, the bat bunny suit. So I, I like that waters is pulling in a lot of stuff here and the art by Federici is absolutely amazing. But again, this is one of those where, I mean, a lot of the things that happen are fantastical and you think, Oh, this could be a nightmare, but it's also comics. So it could not be. So this is one of the ones I'm not really sure. And I don't know for me, like sometimes I'm a big fan of what Dan waters is doing. And other times I feel like, He's trying to be a little too um, esoteric with it, you know, especially with the language that he's choosing. And it's just, it feels a little overwrought. Like it's okay to have things be a little simpler, have the story not take itself so seriously. Um, but I get it. You know, he, he, he hasn't ever had a regular DC monthly gig. So I'm sure he's, um, you know, putting his all into it, but. Really, for me, where this uh, issue shined was the art by Federici. I, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Um, even if I wasn't necessarily, you know, that excited about this good person bat monster, because um, again, I'm kind of over the whole body horror thing at this point. It just feels like it's been done to death. No, no pun intended. Um, but man, the way he draws Jim Gordon, the way he draws the cityscape, um, the streets, the colors are fantastic as well. Uh, very moody. So um, visually, probably, well, visually, it's the best book, best book of the week, without question. Um, but you kind of expect that with uh, Federici handling the line art and, and Brad Anderson handling the, the colors. So, um, you know, mildly interesting story, but yeah, a little little overwrought uh, for me. So what, what are your thoughts, Rocky? Uh, yeah, first apologies to people watching. I, I can't access the box with Detective Comics. I've not been able to access this comic. Fortunately, I reviewed it already, <laughs> so I got some notes from it. Oh, it just popped up. Uh, but I, I liked. I generally like this. I, I didn't mind the story. The art by uh, Glenn, uh, Glenn F uh, Federici is is really really good. There's no question about it. Dan Waters, uh, his his story is his story is. Uh, well, it's it's kind of like it always is. It's it's it can be a little bit convoluted, but yet uh, I, I think that he, he at least he's got a better artist here than he has had in the past. I can't remember the artist he he had in that that one series with uh, I I can't remember the name of the series dealing with Arkham Asylum. Arkham New World Order. Yeah, New World Order. Yeah, that was Danny. that that art. The Danny was the artist. Yeah, Danny was the artist. That was that. They're not a very good combination of artist and writer. Uh, this one is substantially better. It's much more clear. This involves essentially uh, in in Jim Gordon's gr dream. What I thought was interesting is that these a, a group of people called the, the these three the good people of Gotham, the three good persons of Gotham, decide to uh, they call upon the Penta priests from the fifth dimension. Am I making this up? Apparently, is this in a dream? I don't know. Is this Jim Gordon's dream? I don't know. I think Jim Gordon is in the waking world, and then then other these other strange looking people uh, of Gotham uh, they they call upon the, these they call upon the the Penta priests or maybe even insomnia 
does as well. Uh, and insomnia is sort of watching from the sky. So I think he's he's watching this dream. So it must be in the dream world. And these good these three good people of Gotham these, uh, are calling upon the Pentapriest. And one person asks for physical power, for might. One asks for wealth. One asks for knowledge. And I think Danny Waters is trying to maybe tell a mythological tale here. If I didn't know better, it's almost like being told a parable from the Bible. You know, three men ask for power from a god, from the Pentapriests. One asks for wealth, one asks for knowledge, one asks for might. And how does it end up? What happens at the end? Well, sorrow tries to stop these Pentapriests from bestowing power upon these uh, good people of Gotham, these three good people of Gotham. And I don't think they're really good. Uh, and then Sorrow ends up getting killed in a in, a, in an egregious manner. Uh, in fact, it's a it's a page where he literally is, his skin is melted off his body. It's a very graphic page. Federici's art's fan, just fantastic drawing that horror. And then ultimately at the end, Jim Gordon tries to stop the uh, tr- tries to stop these these penta priests from bestowing power, and and he ends up his hand starts to crackle and. I'm I'm not really sure he ends up going to a high rise where he he confronts a he confronts a um this Angelica Vanderbar she's an elite narcissist task tax evading billionaire who chokes on her diamonds and uh that's that's sort of her come up and 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 uh I'm I'm not I'm not really sure what the point is. I don't know how this is Jim Gordon's nightmare. Um, I'm not really sure. These these penta priests seem to be amused by it. I'm, you know, you know, I, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just I'm just at a loss here. I I don't really know what I'm supposed to get out of this. I I'm a sucker for a good metaphor, but it, I don't know uh, because I don't know if this is in the waking world. I don't know if this is a dream. It does matter. It does matter because I don't know. It does matter to me. And I don't like the fact that there's no rules here because it feels like a mess. And if the writers are trying to to tell me a good moral or a good lesson, uh, they're going to have to establish what the rules are. They haven't done that. Danny Waters, Danny, Dan Waters isn't the only writer to really drop the ball on this and not giving readers. Uh, we're going to talk about Titans next, which really dropped the ball because one of the main characters, I don't even know who it is. Uh, but I don't know. This beautiful art, but again, with the story just going, I don't know what the point of the story is. I'm I'm just at a loss. I, I, I'm at a loss. But I mean, again, this, this is just a cover buy for me. All these things are cover buys. I'm getting the midnight variants, but... I, I'm really curious to see what DC sales is going to be in this event because so far, man, this is – I'm literally – I could rate these these one, these tie-ins from least enjoyable to most unenjoyable. Uh, there's yet to be one that really hits it out of the park for me, and I'm just – I continue to – I'm just stunned because there isn't, there isn't a good one this week either. And I hate to be negative. Thank God we have the last days of Lex Luthor coming up by Mark Wade. If it wasn't for that, this week would have been a complete write-off. But – Sorry, complete, a little bit of a rant there. Complete write-off. Uh, okay, well, you mentioned uh, Night Terror's Titans. That's up next. Uh, I, I thought this was fantastic. It was probably my favorite one of the week. Uh, but anyway, Andrew Constant is the writer, Scott Godlewski, artist, Ryan Cody on colors, Wes Abbott on letters. Give us your thoughts. Well, first of all, I, 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 first question I have is, who's the brunette at the beginning of this story? 
It's Raven. Well, how come, it's how Raven's, can that be Raven when she's at the end of the story? It's Nobody's- Raven's. It's Raven's human, you know, part. That's why um, at the end they can't. She's not whole. That's why she's, uh, you know, like a phantom version of herself. Why they can reach through her because her her half that comes from Trigon that has the powers is is there and and trying to figure things out and not asleep and that's why she's like translucent and that her human half is the half that's leading the, the rest of the titans through uh, and and rescuing them and able to figure things out like she can cut through reality with the broken part of the mirror she has magic to you know craft the mirror in the first place yeah, I, um, yeah I thought that was pretty I thought that was pretty obvious actually it wasn't obvious uh, to me at all uh, no no one called her by her name uh, at all throughout the entire issue. She talks to herself as if she, it's a separate self at the end. I, I kind of maybe inferred or guessed that, but at the end when she, all of a sudden she's talking to herself, like it's not a big deal. Like somehow there's, there's two separate persons of Raven that she's her soul self is separate from herself. And she's, she's actually been talking to herself the entire issue. I didn't find it obvious at all. Took me completely out of the story. I thought it was Donna Troy. I thought it was fairly obvious. It was Donna Troy until Donna Troy showed, showed up. Um, and I just, and then to go through it, she, she goes through this house. None of this is explained as to how she, how she even saves Cyborg by cracking a mirror. Just a bunch of nonsense. I'm not sure if, uh, they're, they're, they're trapped in a nightmare. So it's not clear. It's only at the end when it's revealed that the nightmare is actually, it's teen, it's the Titans towers having the nightmare, which is ridiculous. It makes no sense. It's not a sentient, it's not a living being. So it can't be that. So that doesn't make any sense. Again, if it makes sense, Andrew Constant thinks it makes sense. I don't care. That's that's inanimate objects don't have nightmares. That doesn't make any sense. And men it, don't fly either, Rocky. I hate to break it to you. Men no, I know, fly. but I'm just saying, like this this whole thing is there's this is just all over the place. And I just uh, this was just one gong. It's just one gong show after another. I just I never got anything out of this. I thought the art was. Meh, at best. I, I just, uh, I'm just so disappointed in this, and uh, I'm just like, there's, there's nothing to this story. R- apparently, this brunette is Raven. I guess. Uh, every, by the way, every character is given a name except Raven. At the beginning, when they're found, this brunette shows up at the beginning. Rescue Cyborg. It says it's Cyborg at the beginning. We're not told it's Raven. There's, there's nothing on the beginning that says it's Raven. She just sort of pops well, because up. It's not, because it's not Raven in the way it's the rest of it. Well, it no, is but, Cyborg. It it, is. It, some type of visual clue would have been nice. Like actually make her look like Raven. Giving her the thing on even on her forehead or, or some sort of sign that it's Raven. Having her she, say something to herself indicating she's Raven. Have Cyborg say thank you for rescuing me, Raven. <laughs> and, and not only that, when she talks to Changeling, she actually talks to Changeling and says that Raven is, she tells Changeling that Raven is, is, is there and, and it's not her she's referring to. I, again, it just, I, the whole thing just, I mean, I guess it has to make sense that way, I guess, but um, for new readers, good luck. You're going to be completely confused and wonder who this brunette is because it's, I, I'm just. Well, I think it's purposeful that it's not given away that it's Raven right away because it's not really Raven. It's Raven if you split her human half and her demonic half, you know, if you completely separate those two. So it's not it's not really Raven in the way that, 
you know, she wouldn't refer to herself as Raven um, because she's not whole. It, it's only part of Raven, a, a different version, if you will, a, a, an okay. all human version. Okay. But at so, the end, when Raven is talking to herself, the, the, I guess the other, the, 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 the first Raven says to the other, so you're the voice. And then actual Raven says, and you were amazing. Thank you. We don't have much time. So she's actually talking to her other self. Like there's, yeah, it's her, it's her, it's her magical self. The, the part of herself that gets its powers from the fact that she's, her father's a demon. That part of her was, le- you know, leading the other, the human half of her was assisting her, leading her, however you want to put it, in rescuing the other Titans and and helping them escape oh, from Titans. Okay. Tower. So I did not know that when she's human, she has black hair, and when she's Raven, it turns purple hair. Is is that is was that in the TV show or something? Okay. No, but again, like so, let's <laughs> assume that this character Raven never had a demonic father; that her mother was not impregnated by Trigon. This is what she would have looked like. That's how I would. Okay. This is, you know, a Raven as if she had no demonic half. She had no powers. This is who she would have been. That's kind of how I, how I interpret it. I could be wrong. Well, no, I, I, it almost has to be how you're interpreting it because there's no other way that this makes any kind of sense. I just wish it was, uh, I needed I really do need that more spelled out for me because I didn't know who this character was at the beginning and I was more confused. And at the end, I was even more confused. Um, this is uh, not like, anyways, it, 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 this, this wasn't for me in a long line of night terrors comics, not for me. In a long line of night terrors comics that aren't for you. This continued to not be for you. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. But, I, like I said, I enjoyed it. I thought it was cool. I like the idea of, these other Titans being, you know, kind of trapped in their nightmares, trapped in their own minds, unable to you know, remember who they are. Their nightmares are not so spoon fed to us. You know, you kind of have to do some work on your own to see, okay, you know, what is it about being uh, trapped in a, um, in, in this sort of, um, metal construct, I guess you'd say that, uh, that cyborgs trapped in that kind of lends itself to him, you know, being, you know, why, why does that terrify him? Um, same thing with, uh, with beast boy, you know, being this, this, uh, really menacing rat, you know, and, and not having the human intelligence again, it, it makes sense, but it's not as obvious as a lot of the other nightmares have, have been, uh, I will agree with you to some extent. Yeah, if I think about it too much, the idea that the Titans Tower itself could be having a nightmare is a little silly. Um, but I-, I liked it at the end when it was revealed, like it was the night, it was the Titans Tower itself that's having a nightmare because at least it's something different, you know, instead of the same old nightmares from these various heroes. Where if you know, if you're a long time DC reader, you know who the hero is, you know what their fear is going to be. Um, so. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was fun. I thought the art was from Godlewski was pretty solid. Not not the most dynamic, but it it, it tells the story. So yeah, I kind of like this that it was a little bit different. Um, but yeah, maybe it's not for everybody. I I, I I could understand the frustration if you didn't know who the 
know, the main character was that was, um, you know, rescuing the other Titans. I could, I could kind of see that. Um, but the same, th- I, I, I really do think though, that, you know, showing them who they are in the mirror to wake them up, that made total sense to me. Um, you know, they're, they're lost in their nightmares. They're, they've forgotten who they are because if you look at each of the traps that they're in, the traps are sort of them being scared that they're going to be perceived in whatever way their biggest fear is, right? So Cyborg is going to be seen as just a machine. Uh, all that there is, he's, and he's even repeating that all, you know, all there is, all there is, all there is, all there is, is the machine and nobody sees the man, uh, with, um, with guard, you know, it's going to be, everybody's going to perceive him as, as an animal. Um, so show, you know, showing them who they are, kind of their real self, if you will, kind of snaps them out of it. I, I liked that. I liked that idea. Because uh, I think it applies in in life, you know. Remind people who they are. You you remind them about the good parts of themselves, and it can wake them up from a nightmare. So I don't know. Yeah. I thought it was good. Um, didn't work for you, um, but hey, that's okay. Uh, let's move on. See if this one worked for you. Uh, Action Comics Night Terrors number one kicks off with a Power Girl story of Paige, which I still <laughs> I still can't get used to that. Have name. a hard time, yeah. Uh, I know. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, written by Leah Williams, Vasco Gregev is the artist. Uh, not his strongest work, I'd say, but serviceable. Uh, colors are by Alex Squirmus. Uh, letters are by Becca Carey. And then there is a, a second story that has to do with uh, a lot of the younger members of the Superman family. So we have uh, Connor. We have uh, Keenan Kong. We have Natasha. Um Natasha Irons, John Henry Irons' niece, and then we have the Super Twins, Otho Ra and Oso Ra. Who, I, if you weren't, if you don't follow me on social media, and didn't see me live tweeting the Superman panel. The, that uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson said those two are his favorite members of the Superman family, but he admits that he has a bias toward them because he actually created them. Um, so anyway, uh, he does this second story, the stuff of nightmares. It's written by him. The art is fantastic by Miko Suyan and Fico. Uh, Osseo, letters by Ramulo Harda Jr. and letters by Dave Sharp. So uh, we'll start with the um, the page story, the the Power Girl story. Um, what do you think, Rocky? I, I when I started reading, I thought for some reason the first couple of pages, I thought it was uh, I thought this was Kara. It took me a minute to realize yeah. it was um, it was Page, if you will. Um, yeah. So yeah, what are your thoughts? Well, uh, this this was uh, you know you'll be happy to know that um, the most annoying one to me was Titans. I mean the 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 other ones here are a little bit more palatable for me. I, I didn't mind this. I I liked uh, you know Paige. You know remembering. I, obviously she's she's. I think it's apparent that she's dreaming. I think that was a little bit easier to pick up that she's dreaming. She's dreaming about obviously uh, being back on Krypton and then being essentially rejected by her parents, not thinking that she's good enough, rejecting her, and then someone's after her to to basically uh, basically kill her, and she she sort of falls to pieces, or her mother falls to pieces, and and she sees error code behind this uh, you know mysterious person chasing her and and this person suddenly suddenly transforms into Kal-El the Kal-El from the Superman of Earth 2 who is uh, her cousin from Earth 2 and well, of it's course Omen. It's, o- it's Omen first and then Omen transforms into Kal-El well, right uh, she's got the red hair and I think she even calls her mm-hmm. an Omen at one point 
Well, it's uh, well, no, it's uh, he starts off as the Kryptonian guy who's following her, and he transforms into Kalal, and then later, after Kalal, he he deprogram oh, right. yeah. he deprograms Power Girl, yeah, and no, by pushes a button, yeah. and then and then she's she's like discarded, and it's almost like she's useless. She's like a doll. She's a useless. This she's one of many. She's one of many rejected Power Girls. It's like she's she's a redundancy. She's one of many, and she's useless. And Superman is just getting rid of her because she's a defect. She's a defect of the real thing. And and I can see that. I'm reading that into the story a little bit. I can see uh, Paige feeling like a secondary a secondary person next to maybe. Kara, uh, you know, Supergirl. And uh, then all of a sudden, uh, of course, that image is replaced by Omen. She, she wakes up out of the dream and you think she's waking, woken up now, but we know that she's, you don't really wake up. Once you're in the, in the nightmare realm, you don't, it's not possible to wake up. You, you pretty much stay in the coma. But I was a little bit unsure. Maybe she did wake up because there's Omen and because Omen has telepathic powers and so does Maybe Paige still has some remnants of powers and Omen has a connection to Paige telepathically. Maybe she helped her out of the a nightmare realm, but but that wasn't the case. Omen then takes Power Girl, they end, they end up on a stage, and Power Girl ends up being booed and and humiliated on the stage, and then it shows Paige actually in a sort of like a, a gem-like coffin. Uh, and almost like an amethyst coffin, amethyst coffin, where she's being fed things in her mind, and and Ohm seems to be surrounded by computer code, which is manifesting around her, and and she's using this computer code to manipulate Power Girl through the programming that she's locked into within this computerized sort of coffin that she's in, where and what's going on? I I don't know. She's Power Girl is clearly, Paige is clearly having a nightmare. And it's exactly what you would fear that Paige would sort of, her nightmare would be basically being alone, being isolated, not fitting in, feeling redundant, feeling unimportant, being discarded by family and friends just as she's starting to get into the Superman family. So I could, this was actually one of, I, I could get into this. This was, was fitting. This this is consistent with the theme that Lee Williams started with in the in the Power Girl backups in Action Comics and it continues on here. And I thought this was, it actually was one of the better ones because it contributes to the story so far. So I, uh, yeah, I, I didn't mind it. And I didn't, I also didn't, I like the art by uh, Vasco uh, Georgiev's art. I thought it was pretty good as well. What do you think of the uh, main story? Yeah, I mean, it definitely fit in with what they've been doing with Power Girl lately. And I'm a big fan of Lee Williams. I, I just, I don't, I don't know that Power Girl needed, for me, needed this, right? But then at the same time, objectively, I look at Power Girl and I say, well, Never really had a super successful series. She's never really stood out. A lot of people get her confused with with Kara. I mean, I even did at the beginning of the story, um, you know, for a few pages. So, I, you know, it's hard for me to argue with the fact that they need to be doing something different with her. Um, so, yeah, I, I like a lot of what's being shown here. Um, it does make sense, like you said, her not feeling worthy, her feeling redundant. Um, and, yeah, the art and the color are are, are very strong. So, Overall, yeah, I mean this this worked um, this worked pretty well. So uh, again, I can't really um, argue with the success of uh, of the story. So, uh, all right, the second story uh, is that 
uh, as I said, that um, story about the the uh, younger members of the Superman family. Uh, what do you think of that one? I I really like this. The art was fantastic. Miko Seonen and uh, Suwon and Fiko Osio. The art is absolutely fantastic. I could literally just, I could, it didn't even need dialogue. I could just literally watch it. I thought it was, the art just absolutely gorgeous. I loved watching it. And uh, you really get a sense of the Superman family. You you get a sense of all of them, you know, Connor and Keenan and and Natasha taking care of Ossel and also as they're watching basically a horror movie. And this is in, this is in the moments or in the, probably the 10 minutes leading up to the nightmare wave hitting their, uh, hitting Metropolis. And uh, basically, also is is also is is having some he he's still traumatized by the by the cyborg superman and even though the cyborg superman was defeated and basically uh shot into the phantom zone or whatever uh clearly uh also has some nightmares about it and once the nightmare wave starts to hit also has that continue to has that bad vision uh i I, I don't want to miss another opportunity to say that also and also are the stupidest names for characters in comics in, in, in a decade. Uh, <laughs> the, the, I just, it was just stupid names. <laughs> PKJ, really? <laughs> in any event, uh, the art here is fantastic. And I, I it, it was, uh, one could see a, a kid reading this back up and probably being terrified because it was, it was just really terrifying. And I, I thought it worked really well. And unlike uh, some of the other ones, uh, this is directly connected and follows what happened in in the uh, in PKJ's adventures. I mean, he, it flows it flows seamlessly from the end of uh, from the defeat of the cyborg Superman, and it's it just it just flows really nice. And it uh, even the even uh, the way that the uh, Fico Osio and the Miko so on. Uh, illustrate a psychotic crypto. It just looks amazing. I, I think it looks really good. And uh, this was uh, definitely artistically for me. This is my probably one of the best uh, best stories of the week artistically. And the story for at least consistency with what came before. And it's easy to follow. You know, it's a nightmare. This is probably it's like PKJ seems to have a, a, the best handle on it and keeping with his story so far and we're collaborating well with the artists. So I liked it. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think one of the stronger ones in terms of tying in with what came before, Catwoman did a really good job uh, with that as well by Tinny Howard. Um, I, I agree with you. So th- this is an example of, okay, you can do horror and it, the art doesn't have to be all messy and muddy and what have you, you could still be like clean art and it can feel a little more grounded. It doesn't always have to feel so nebulous, like so much art does for, um, for horror comics. So yeah, for me, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. Loved the art, loved seeing, um, Osso's vert, you know, nightmare version of, of Hank Henshaw. I like the fact that, um, that Philip Kenny Johnson is playing with the idea that there's still some trauma there from these twins. Um, the fact that they, you know, were traumatized for, for the things that they went through on, on war world and what have you. So yeah, for me, this worked really, really well. Um, all right, let's, uh, move on to the next book. Real curious what you have to say about this one. It's night terrors, angel breaker. Number one from writer, Tim Seeley art is by 
Aki Bright. It's A-C-K-Y Bright. Colors by Brian Reber and letters by Seda Timofante. Give us your thoughts on this one. Uh, this was prob- This is my favorite night uh, night terror. Uh, it's not saying much, but it's my favorite night terror uh, issue one shot so far. This was uh, uh, Angel Breaker. I'm actually curious about her. She was trained. Uh, she's re- she's she had similar training as uh, as the Zealot has, and she. She is a member of the League of Shadows. and But what she does here, what Angel Breaker does is that she's leaving the League of Shadows because she wants to go and she wants to look for something called the Dream Snake. She's looking for the Dream Snake, the Dream Snake, a Dream Snake device that was created by the Cult of Cobra. And what she does is that she recruits, uh, she recruits, um, what's his name? Um, oh, man. Um let me see here. Uh, right, Raptor. She recruits Raptor to help him. She pays Raptor $100,000 and kind of sets him up. If he either helps her or he's going to get picked up by Interpol. So basically, she, she takes Raptor. She travels to a, basically the headquarters of Cobra, which is in Iowa of all places, and ends up she wants to capture this this dream snake which harnesses the powers of the dreamstone and it's uh, user john d who is uh who hid the nightmare stone john d at one time um uh john d once used the dreamstone to access any mind in the dreamscape and so angel breaker has the intention she wants to obtain the dream snake to access the mind of anybody she wants and automatically become privy to all of their skills and their abilities and to be even a better fighter than she already is. And so that's really what her goal is. And But when she gets there, she's surprised to discover. And what, what's interesting is that there are... Uh, this this cult of cobra has teachers in it it's actually a school there's a mistress a lady manon she's the head mistress of cobra and there's uh, four children lee cole west and and velis and uh, they're all children that are basically being trained to uh being trained to worship the uh the kali yuga faith in kali yuga which is the cult of cobra and the kids are taught fear and um they're, they're taught to fear Batman and to see Cobra as, as a force for good. And what's happened, though, is that this dream snake has slowly sort of sort of poisoned the minds of Lady Eve, who was one of the heads of the Cobra school. And uh, and Lady Eve is seeking an audience with gods who actually speak to her. And and what's what's happened is that Lady Mammon. One of the other teachers has, has asked this, one of the students to spy, spy on Lady Eve. And it's discovered that, in fact, this dream snake is, is sort of – it's poisoning her mind. And it, it's released this force called uh, this nanny uh, – I'm sorry, this uh, – she calls uh, – what does she call it? Uh, Angel Breaker – says there's a woman that uh, there's the legend of at the beginning of the story angel breaker has this nightmare about this nanny that she was told a story of this of this character named um 
Uh, man. Oh, just a minute. I got to kiss my daughter. Good night. Good night. Good night. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Angel Breaker has this dream of this. Uh, th there's this one almost like this. She's like a, a like a, a devil character where she. Um, Nanny Gillow. Nanny Gillow. That's what it is. Thank you. Oh, it's so frustrating when I can't find it. Um, that's the problem when I take notes. I got to underline this stuff. But uh, and I, when I don't underline it, I end up screwing myself up and ruining my, my chain of thought. But in any event. Uh, and it, it's very hot here, too. It's like, good Lord, I don't have air conditioning in my loft. But good Lord, is it hot there where you're at? <laughs> Man, we set a record for having the most days ever in the history of Phoenix wow. where it's been over 110 for the high and over 90 for the low. So, yeah, it's fair to say it's hot here. 100%. Yeah. But uh, in any event, Angel Breaker goes to help uh, one of the children and to rescue Lady Mammon. But uh, Nanny Gillow ends up, I think this Nanny Gillow manifests herself and she ends up uh this nanny gillow ends up eating one of the children and it's quite horrifying so this nanny gillow seems to have been a creature that was pulled from angel breaker's nightmare because zealot told angel breaker when she was younger this horror story about this nanny that that was a spurned lover and ended up eating the wife of her former lover and this nanny gillow appears to have manifested and come to life from the mind of angel breaker because the nightmare wave hits in the middle of this story and it's actually kind of a cool story and there's this and by the time you get to the end this nanny gillow this nightmare version angel breaker is fearful uh, that what if i created it what if i created this nightmare and, and only i can stop it because at one point zealot told Angel Breaker when she was younger that you're prophesized to stop this something that only you're destined you're going to be trained so that to fight something that only you can stop only you can fight and that's what happens here and at the beginning of the story Angel Breaker thinks she sort of talks about she's not afraid of anything she doesn't really dream she doesn't believe in much but at, by the end of this story she's terrified and actually thinks that it's possible that this Nanny Gillow could be a character that has come out and come out of her dreams and i think this was very effective and uh, i thought this was i thought this was really interesting i th i like the fact that we we introduced to other children to other potential characters in the DCU uh with these students Lee Cole West and Vallis uh that that are future potential villains but young villains because we're getting introduced to a lot of young kids a lot of legacy characters for heroes we need more legacy characters for villains as well and we get that here in this cult of cobra and i this was actually a comic book that god forbid and this is a comic within night terrors that maybe isn't totally a write-off it's not totally useless and might actually be referred to uh, as a key issue in the future which is uh frankly refreshing so What'd you get out of this? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I love the way Angel Breaker looks, particularly her sword. Uh, when I read it, I was like, Angel Breaker, is this a new character? Uh, I, she's been, she's shown up before. I think she's a character Tim Seeley has created. She's shown up before. There are references to her. I like that Seeley tied it back to other things like his uh, Nightwing run, which he's the one that, the current volume of Nightwing that, that's ongoing right now, that, you know, the one that Tom Taylor's writing. That run started in 2016 with Tim Silly as the writer. 
and then maybe the run where uh, Angel Breaker showed up um, first. I, I don't remember, but she is an interesting character. She's a character you couldn't, you know, you can't really classify her as a hero. She's not an outright villain, uh, but there is a lot to like here. Um, you are right when you talk about the uh, the kids. They're fun. They're interesting characters. A little misguided. But, you know, that's what happens to people who are brainwashed into a cult. I wasn't quite sure when they showed up. I, I, I was like, wait, is this uh, Gotham Academy? No, it's not Gotham Academy. But then I thought maybe it could be Arkham Academy, which we saw Dennis Culver do some stories. No, it turns out Cobra has an academy as well. So, yeah, those those type of stories seem to sell pretty well. You know, Rick Remender's Deadly Class is a bestseller at Image. So, you know, not surprising that DC would take this. Um, you know, take this direction with a, a co little Cobra uh, Academy, if you will. So yeah, there's a lot to like here. Um, and I like the art as well. Uh, really fun. A little bit of a Jim Chung style, but also clearly heavily um, manga influenced. So yeah, I liked it. We'll, uh, uh, we'll see if we can get more Angel Breaker from Tim Seeley in the future. Uh, all right. Up next, we have Night Terror's Harley Quinn, written by Tinny Howard. She's handling the regular series as well, as we know. Hayden Sherman on the art, Triona Farrell on color, Steve Wands on letters. The art was a little bit inconsistent for me and very busy. Uh, I think Hayden Sherman is a brilliant artist. Uh, maybe perhaps because it's a you know, nightmare story. Um, he kind of throws everything in here. I mean, we get a pirate Harley. We get Harley reading... Grant Morrison's Multiversity. We get um, different versions of, uh, of you know other characters. We see a, a metallic Hawkman, it looks like. Almost a, a medieval-looking Green Lantern, uh, a Western-looking Wonder Woman. I, I mean, it, it, it's fun, and the art technically is um, very well done. But again, at times, it just feels overwrought. It feels a little, uh, a little bit busy. So... Uh, as far as the story itself, it, it really fits in with what Tinny Howard has been doing with Harley, you know, making her, uh, giving her the ability to somehow mysteriously trans, uh, you know, translocate to different parts of the, the multiverse, uh, DC multiverse, or pull things out like that Vorpal fish, you know, reach through an interdimensional portal some way and, and pull something uh, from another dimension. Um, so it all works on that level. It's not a, a nightmare in the way a lot of the others uh, night terror books are nightmares. But again, that's explained. Like we understand why that's the case. You know, Harley's talking about man with everything I've been through. You think you're going to find something that where I don't realize it's a dream. Um, so very self aware, uh, and so I enjoyed that aspect of it um, as well. And then there's there's a backup that didn't work quite as well for me. But uh, I'll let Rocky talk about the main story first. I know you're a big fan of multiversity. Um, I am. Yes. I've never read it. I'm, I'm not a uh, Morrison fan, so yeah. curious your well, take on Harley actually reading. Well, yeah, I I want to give Teeny Howard uh, credit here for you know again, you know uh, we we you and I both have had uh, some issues with Teeny Howard's uh, you know her pacing and the way manner some she can get a little convoluted in the way she can tell a story, particularly with her Catwoman and and her Harley Quinn, but. I, I do continue to admire her for how she's always swinging for the fences. And her incorporating the multiversity guidebook 
much. I got to admit, I'm a little bit impressed. Now, be, and I'm gonna, I cut her some slack on this issue because she, I mean, it is a nightmare, so it's all over the place. I know it's in Harley Quinn's mind, so who the hell knows? But she incorporated Earth-31 with the Pirate uh, Justice League, the Admiral L and the Justice Fleet, and Lord Leatherwing. And she incorporated Earth-43 with the Blood League, sort of like the Blood Vampires. And she basically ends up, this is a dream where she's, she, she gets to, uh, she talks to a computer and she, the computer basically tells her, the computer entity tells her that the good news is, is that this is a multiversity program. It's not really the multiversity, but it kind of is because you can, you can manipulate and do whatever you want to the multiverse here in this computer program. And whatever changes you make, you can, you can you can try out certain solutions to problems that you have. And if they work in the program, then you can try them out in the real multiverse. That's how, what, what I got out of it. I thought, well, that's kind of cool. Even though it's a dream and a nightmare or whatever the hell it is. And again, it felt more like a dream. It never really felt like a nightmare, but where the humor comes in is at the end where she realizes that, oh my God, she's overwhelmed with the multiversity pages and the multiversity pages seem to swallow her up. And of course, when you, those who, even if you don't read Multiversity, if you do read Multiversity, there's a Multiversity guidebook that basically summarizes all 52 universe, all 52 Earths, the majority of them. There's like seven mysterious ones. But the, in the nutshell, there's different versions of the Justice League and all the Earths to over, oversimplify it. I mean, to really oversimplify it. And that's Harley Quinn's nightmare. <laughs> Her nightmare is being a member of the Justice League. And here she is in the multiverse being overwhelmed by the multiversity of the Justice League all over. And I, I thought that was funny. And uh, I thought that was well done. And yeah, I, you know, I, I have no idea where it's going to go or what, what, you know, and how this is related to Lady Quark, because this is how Teeny Howard relates it to her main story, because Lady Quark of Warworld is, uh, has warned her that don't screw up the multiverse or I'm going to hold you accountable because Lady Quark is one of the guardians of the multiverse. And so Harley Quinn's afraid that she's going to screw things up. Fortunately for Harley, as I'm sure she'll find out in part two of this, is that this is all just a nightmare, her nightmare, because her biggest nightmare is the Justice League. So uh, I actually, I, did, I didn't mind it. It was one of the, one of the better ones as well. So uh, what were your thoughts on the backup? Uh, the backup, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm a little bit uh, confused about the backup. The backup by Leigh Williams called Presque Vu. I... Uh, even though I'm Canadian, I'm I don't fancy myself bilingual. <coughs> I don't I don't really know what presque vous means. Um, uh, it's it's just Harley Quinn is in an arcade and she's talking to herself, and then she ends up she ends up leaving. Uh, she ends up leaving through a a camera, crawling into a light and coming out, and then meeting herself again. And her other version of herself that has a scar in the eye says, so you're ready to get started? I'm, I'm, I have no idea what this is. I, I really thought this was a waste of pages. Uh, the, the art by uh, Ben Templesmith, I thought the art was very different. His art and colors, I think, were very eye-catching. And the, 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 his art and his coloring, I thought, was very unique, very interesting. It, it, it caught my eye. It, it kept me glued to the page. I just wish something more exciting was happening. Nothing really happened here. She's talking to herself. What does this have to do with night terrors? I thought, why is there a backup here if is she having two nightmares at once? Uh, again, I guess it goes back to my earlier criticism. I guess 
It doesn't matter. You can have a dream within a dream. Maybe these dreams are connected, but I doubt it. Why are you having two writers? Why are we having two night terror stories on the same character? This doesn't make any sense to me. But again, I, I, almost, I almost feel, should I apologize for expecting these stories to make sense? And, and say, no, they're not supposed to because they're nightmares or dreams? I guess. I don't know. But I didn't understand the backup. But uh, again, it was beautiful to look at again. So what do you think of it? Yeah, I mean, there's not much to the story. Future Harley shows up, recruits present Harley. They're looking for someone who's missing. We don't know who it is. Um, present Harley has some doubts about Future Harley, uh, but then climbs through a, the lens of a camera um, and finds Future Harley there waiting for her. So, yeah, there's there isn't much to the story. I didn't care much for the art either. Um I, I just, I, I don't know. Ben Temple Smith art for me, I usually don't have a problem with it, but this, this just looked different than his regular style. Um, just really not enough context, I guess, to really understand what's going on. I mean, it does says clown clusion imminent. So I don't know if it's going to have anything to do with the Joker. Um, and the phrase presque vu in French means almost seen. So I, I don't, I don't know what that means either. So yeah, a very obtuse story. Uh, I guess it'll make sense eventually. Um, I guess we'll see. Uh, but anyway, that does it for the Night Terrors books for this week. Um, so can all breathe a sigh of relief. Uh, and we'll let Rocky talk about Superman, The Last Days of Lex Luthor, uh, issue number one, which is written by Mark Wade, pencils by Brian Hitch, inks by Kevin Nolan, and colored by David Barron. What are your thoughts? Um. Okay, sorry, I'm just out of order here. Uh, this was uh, this was by far. Th- there's no contest. This was the book comic of the pick of the week for me. There's no use beating around it. I I just I thoroughly enjoyed this one. Uh, Mark Wade has uh, he referred to this in uh, in solicits as his the spiritual successor to his Superman Birthright. And when he wrote Superman Birthright, it wasn't particularly well received back in the day. It was quickly relatively quickly forgotten about. But uh, this uh, this story is, uh, uh, and this has been solicited, uh, you know, it's been, I think it's been anticipated for a while now. I've been anticipating this. Uh, this is Lex Luthor coming to Superman. It basically, you know, Lex Luthor uh, gets Superman's attention in this issue by essentially stealing a giant Transformer, almost destroying India or some ma- place, getting Superman's attention, and... And and revealing the Superman, Superman stops him. Prevent, Superman stops a major disaster. Superman saves, miraculously saves everyone from dying. He saves every single life. And Lex Luthor is, of course, uh, defeated handily. And uh, so this megalith uh, mechanical construct that Lex Luthor had is is incapacitated, and of course Superman uh, discovers that the person, the the lone occupant in this giant transformer like <laughs> mechanical creature, is Lex Luthor, and uh, who very nonchalantly says to Superman when he's discovered, "Do you got a minute?" And uh, he basically they have a conversation, and Lex Luthor is dying. 
And Lex Luthor, in a nutshell here, and what Mark Way does so masterfully here is that he gets you in the minds of both Lex Luthor and Superman. And you get to know Lex Luthor and Clark Kent's relationship when they were younger. And of course, this is a Lex Luthor that doesn't know that Clark Kent is uh, Superman. He doesn't know that the young boy he knew as Clark Kent in Smallville was would grow up to be Superman. And this is a Lex Luthor that hates Superman. And he he his proposition is Superman. Lex Luthor is dying, and he he knows that if he asks Superman to save his life, Superman's going to say yes. And he has he basically essentially he feels he's trapping Superman to do it. Lex Luthor feels that he's luring himself to Superman for two reasons because he he can't imagine a universe without himself in it. That's how narcissistic Lex Luthor is. And he wants the world to hate Superman for saving him. And Lex Luthor does something very devious. The conversation that he has with Superman, he records for all the world to see so that when Superman accepts, uh, agrees to help save Luthor, the world hears Superman agree to help save Luthor. And this is after Lex Luthor almost destroyed millions of lives uh, that were, were saved by Superman. And so, but the way Lex Luthor is, Lex Luthor knows that, you know, you're going to, not only are you going to save me, but the world's going to hate you for saving me. And finally, you will discover, the world will discover how easy you are to hate, Superman. You will, you know, they will finally discover what I've all always known, that you're an easy person to hate. And you can see the, you, you can just see the hypocrisy of Lex Luthor, and you can also see the flaws and the and the shades of his character that that sort of that that show him to be such the the, the small man that he was. But what Mark Wade does is just you know if you're he he juxtaposes throughout the story, he goes back and forth to the past and to the and to the present, where you can see a young Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor wasn't always malevolent. He wasn't always a he was he was a lost soul for many for for a long time. He was, he was always, uh, he was always too excited. He was indifferent. He was highly intelligent, but he lacked emotional, an emotional capacity. He had a high IQ, a low EQ. And it was very different than Clark Kent. Young Clark Kent had a high IQ, but he got along. Clark wanted to fit in and strove to fit in, even if, if he had to hide his powers. Lex Luthor never felt he fit in, but Lex Luthor uh, didn't, didn't want to fit it. He wanted another. He wanted respect. He wanted to be noticed. He wanted to be seen as special. And of course, he was raised very differently than Clark Kent. He's got a very different kind of relationship with his parents. Very problematic. Mark Wade maybe will go into that in the future issues in this series. But this was. This is a. a this opening issue really, really makes you think about Lex Luthor, about Superman, about their relationship. Why did Superman agree to save Lex Luthor? Why did he really do that? He feels guilty because he failed to help Lex Luthor. Superman, um, Joshua Williamson is touching upon this theme in his current Superman run, where Lex Luthor has always been Superman's ongoing failure. It's the one failure Superman is unable to reach. Superman has been able to reach a lot of his villains. A lot of his villains maybe have reformed. But Lex Luthor is unrepentant in his hatred and his resentment towards Superman. But yet Clark always feels responsible for it because he had an opportunity to reach a young Lex Luthor when, before he became malevolent, but he failed. And Clark feels responsible for that. And par that's part of what's driving him to save Lex, even though he knows that, well, he knows he's being played, but he can't stop being who he is. And so 
simultaneously, as a reader, you get frustrated with Superman, but you can't help but be amazed by Superman because he's he's refusing to compromise and he'll save the life even of his greatest enemy. And uh, so much to say here. So much happens. At one point, Superman takes Superman, uh, Lex Luthor to the Phantom Zone to try to save him. Uh, but it's it's almost like Lex Luthor wants to sabotage Superman's attempts to, to save him. Superman wants to put Lex Luthor in the Phantom Zone so that he won't he won't age and he'll stay immortal until they fi- he can find a cure. Much like Superman, Superboy did with with the Legion of Superheroes did with Monel, where they put Monel, Superman put Monel in the Phantom Zone for a thousand years and years released and became Monel of the Legion of Superheroes. That's what he wants to do with Lex Luthor. Put him in the Phantom Zone so the deteri- his deteriorating body won't won't die. And so when he finds a cure, he can let Lex Luthor out of the Phantom Zone. But Lex Luthor manages to piss off Zod and all the other people in the Phantom Zone. And he sabotages that. And... And Candor, the, the technology in Candor can't save Lex Luthor either. And there's there's so many working parts here. And despite it all, Superman is relentlessly relentlessly going to continue to try to save Lex Luthor. And I'm telling you, I I, I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed this. This is indeed a spiritual successor to Birthright. And I thought e- easily for me, this is my uh, this is my pick of the week. So what do you what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to. You put Mark Wade on Superman, you get Brian Hitch art. It's hard. I, I can't, I can't, I can't imagine in what way that would be bad. And yeah, it's it's absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, right from the start, you see this, you know, mechanical construct or whatever this giant robot that's attacking this island and you, you know you see the colors of it uh, by baron you know purple and green that in in the, the tones of uh of luthor and you know you know exactly who it is that's responsible for for this so again it's not a, it's not a big surprise that this is fantastic and yeah luther devis is ever broadcasting that conversation so that everybody will be mad at superman like why are you agreeing to save Luther, you know, he's such a piece of crap. Um, so yeah, it, it works on, on many different levels. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's fantastic. There's, there's not, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I can't wait to see where it goes from here. Um, I, I think it's only two issues. I could be wrong. Um, but the other part of that is I, I felt like we got a big chunk of story, you know, you kind of covered all the different things that Superman's willing to try um, but the other part of it is there is something about that dynamic between Luther and Superman, um, that Mark Wade really, he does a great job with, right? Like Luther, he definitely knows who Clark is in terms of, yeah, I know, I know I can do this particular thing, whatever it might be. And I know how you're going to, to react, right? Um, you know, I know I can tell you that I'm dying and I know you're going to do everything in your power to save me, um, which isn't necessarily maybe the good thing or the best thing when it comes to what's best for the world. But we know it's it's Superman. He can't he can't help himself. So in a way, there's a vulnerability that Superman has here to Lex because Lex understands him so well. The other thing Wade does really well is he he reminds us that. You know, despite what fans of Mister Terrific might tell you, uh, that Luther really is the smartest guy in the DC universe. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
So it works for, uh, on that level as well. Um, yeah. So I thought it was uh, really enjoyable. I love the, the, you know, the flashbacks, the callbacks to the friendship that, um, that Clark and Lex had back in the day. Um, I think that works very well uh, also. So, yeah. Uh, all right. Up next, we have Batman Beyond um, Neo-Gothic. This is from the same same creative team that brought us the most recent Batman Beyond uh, uh, miniseries. Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing are the writers. Max Dunbar on art. Sebastian Chang on colors. And Hassan Atzman Elhow on letters. So we see a lot of the same characters. Um, you know, we see Beam Boonma, even though she's not uh, a police officer anymore. We see uh, Donovan Lumos trying to what's I don't know what's the best way to put it Try, trying to be a, a savior to the the underprivileged of, of Gotham even though his previous uh, attempts at, at kind of manipulating people were exposed um, but we get plenty of new as well um, as we're getting to this the, the true underworld of, of Gotham um, if you will the the Gotham deep as it's called um, and getting to see the the cat boys that we've seen before, which is interesting. They're all named either Selena or Kyle, which I <laughs> find to be really, really interesting. Um, and we're in, introduced in, uh, to a new character. I don't know that we, that we get a name. Mr. Blunt, uh, actually, I think is his name, um, who seems really interesting. And, and a uh, Batman Beyond version of Bane. We know we're getting a Batman Beyond version of Killer Croc, which we see right at the end that um, – they talked about uh, Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing talked about it at the Gotham panel. So yeah, there's a lot to like here. Max Dunbar's art. It feels like he's settling in um, this art. I, I don't want to imply that, um, that Dunbar's art was rigid in the, the first um, Batman beyond uh, Neo Gothic series, but this feels like it flows a little more. Um, the line work is still really strong, but this just feels a little more organic. It feels like he's getting a little more comfortable with it. Storytelling is fantastic. You know, uh, he's got to be having fun giving us new looks for some of these um, Batman Beyond versions of, of characters that we haven't seen before. So overall, I, I just thought this was a lot of fun. Um, and I feel like you can dive into this, even if you haven't read the first Neo Gotham series, but you should read it because it's really, really good, first of all. Um, but you don't, you, you can dive into this or you can start with the other, um, having never read any Batman beyond before. You don't need to have read any Batman beyond before to, to understand what's going on here. So I think that's a really good thing as well, because we really are getting a Terry McGinnis who uh, is sort of becoming his own character. Um, now that the, the elder Bruce Wayne has passed away. Um, and some would say that's a bad thing is he doesn't have as strong of a, a link to, to Batman. But I feel like that's okay because he's really becoming his own, truly his own Batman. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed this a lot. What did you think? Well, I um, I don't think I'll be able to show the pictures here, but if they pop up, I'll, I'll show them up. But uh, I, di I didn't mind this. I uh, write the the central the central story involves uh, children disappearing throughout Gotham in in these in this living Gotham. And again, it was established in the previous Batman Beyond series that all of Gotham now it's it's a living Gotham, and it's it's Gotham has sentience, and it, it's it this living Gotham 
Terry McGinnis is sort of at, at odds and he's always at war with the living Gotham and it's but he's got his own sort of computer system inside the Batcave that battles the living Gotham and um I, I was never quite clear on that. I've never full disclosure, I've I've always been a little bit confused about Batman Beyond. And uh, the last series didn't exactly do wonders to help me understand exactly all of that. I um, I actually find Batman Beyond, generally speaking, to to not be reader particularly as reader friendly as it could be. Now, having said that, this was okay, I guess. But there's a lot of very new things to me. I had no idea that there's an underground Gotham where there's a character called there's a gang called Cat Boys, and the cats are called Kyle or Selena. That's interesting. And they, they literally look exactly like cats. What's that story about? I'm not familiar with that story. Was there like, did, did Selena Kyle grow old and cybernetically create or cloned a bunch of cats that became no, 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 cat I don't, I don't cowboys? I don't think the cowboys are new to the Batman Beyond mythos. Um, but yeah, they are. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. hybrids and they're, they worship or, or maybe not worship, but they, homage selena kyle by and they're all named either selena or kyle yeah and this is a kyle number 450 kyle selena's underscore 450 is the name of this character and they there's four or five different levels under in, in the gotham deep and now as as i know the gotham deep is new to the this is the first time we're seeing it that part of the Batman Beyond Mythos is new. Yeah, and it's interesting because in in, diff, in in one level of the first level of Gotham Deep, it looks like there's Crime Alley in one of the levels. So it's almost as if the different levels represent maybe different eras of the past. So there might even be Arkham Asylum at one level and what have you. And so there, you know, this is there's a lot of opportunity here for the writers for Kelly and Lansing to go deep into Gotham uh, traditional Gotham City lore, uh, which might be more familiar with to, to readers like myself, but I thought it was good. I don't know exactly. I don't really know exactly where it's, uh, where it's going, but you know, all the characters that were from the first series, beam Booma, like you said, Donovan Lumos, sort of like the bad guy. And he's, again, he's, he's looking for these lost children. It's not bad for, for an opening issue. I, I guess there's, there's, you know, I can get into this and we enjoyed the, we enjoyed last series as well. And yeah, all in all, not bad. Yeah, I guess, man. <laughs> uh, all right, moving on. More Batman. We have Batman the Beyond, or sorry, Batman the Brave and the Bold, number three. Uh, no King uh, Garrett's uh, Joker story in this one, although they, they were on the Batman panel and did talk about their story and doing the whole silent movie version of a Joker, which actually added a lot of context to what they've been doing that, that kind of helped me out um, to understand a little bit more about that and have a greater appreciation for that story. Cause it hasn't really been doing it for me, but anyway, they, they Mitch need a little more time. So they're giving a break here in the middle. Uh, and so we're getting, uh, which I, I really wish I hadn't read this before. I sat down with Dennis Culver at the show. We talked about doom patrol. We talked about the Zatanna robot man, night terror. So we didn't talk about this. Um, I'm a huge baseball fan. I would, I wish I wouldn't have known about this. I would have talked to him about it. But we'll probably have him on the show uh, again at a later time, so we can talk about it then. But uh, I love this. Uh, the art was by Otto Schmidt. Uh, Pierluigi Casolina does the colors, Pat Brussel on letters. So that's the the first story. Then we have the part three of the Stormwatch story, Down with the Kings by Ed Brisson. Jeff Spokes, art and colors, Seda Timofanti on letters. 
Superman orders a black lamp. Final uh, part, part three from Christopher Cantwell, Javier Rodriguez on art and color, Simon Bolin on letters. And then uh, another story from the aforementioned Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing, uh, Jorge Molina art, Rob Lee on letters called all things considered. So give us your thoughts on the first story, Rocky. Well, Mr. Baseball by Dennis Galver is actually a, was actually an interesting story. I'm actually curious to see uh, uh, if what's going to flow from this. We, we, we are introduced to a new villain called Mr. Baseball. Mr. Baseball is actually was a character by the name of Austin Clutch, who worked for uh, the crime, uh, the crime boss Vito uh, Grand or Vito Grand and Austin Clutch uh, essentially uh, was a was a bank robber and uh, he went by the codename I guess Mr. Baseball because he was always he was always about teamwork and he was always about uh, you know with, with the right team putting the right team together you can defeat you can overcome anything and so uh, Vito was very good about planning heists and he was put, put, he was meticulous about it and he did uh, whatever he could to uh, be successful in that regard. But what he did, uh, unfortunately, accidentally, is uh, Vito ended up uh, making uh, Vito ended up um, uh, Vito ends up setting up Mister Baseball and essentially lures him into a trap. And um, uh, Vito, uh, because the uh, Mister Baseball ends up robbing a bank by accident that is actually one of the fronts of a crime family of this Vito Grand crime family. And so Vito has one of Mr. Baseball's uh, henchmen, this Mikey, betray Mr. Baseball and ends up, uh, they capture they capture Mr. Baseball and they scar him and they, they basically draw, they, they scar his face so his face looks like the stitching on a baseball. And that's that's hence hence the name. So it's it's kind of a maybe a little bit cliche, uh, but I mean it's that's what he he looks like. He looks like a scarred. He looks like a scarred person with a with a baseball for a face. <laughs> it's what he looks for. And Batman, as matches Malone, one of uh, Mikey, who is one of the henchmen who betrayed Mr. Baseball. Mikey was one of the informants to Matches Malone, and Matches Malone is Batman's alter ego that he gets information from the mob. And so Batman is investigating what happened to Mikey because Mikey is killed. And uh, anyways, Batman ends up finding Mr. Baseball. Batman ends up finding Mr. Baseball and protecting Vito Grant from being killed by Mr. Baseball and ends up putting Mr. Baseball in prison and and really it ends with Mr. Baseball hinting that you know any job is possible if you put together the right team so it strongly hints that out of Blackgate penitentiary at some point uh, Mr. Mr. Baseball is going to put in put together the right team break out of Blackgate penitentiary and be a future problem for Batman and so I think it's interesting I think it's it's a I think it's this is a probably a key issue it's the first appearance so speculator alert and um yeah, I I was actually kind of I, this was this was a really good story by Dennis Culver, and it was I think it's a nice uh, interesting addition to Batman's Rogues. But. <laughs> it it was fun. That's the main thing I took away from it. Yeah, his head. I mean, it felt a little Charlie Brown like with this bald guy and his head is scarred like a baseball. They get, took one of his eyes as well. You kind of feel bad for the guy. Um, <laughs> But yeah, you said he robbed the bank accidentally. I, I, I want to make it clear. So he 
he robbed the, I mean, he robbed the bank on purpose, but he didn't know until it was too late or, you know, until they were already inside the bank robbing it, that the bank was basically the place that, um, this veto character was, uh, was laundering money. Um, so yeah, it, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it worked really well, um, for what it was and, uh, it was, it was fun. So, uh, all right. Up next, we have the Stormwatch now with the Kings uh, issue or uh, part of the story. What do you think of that? I enjoyed this. This was uh, I, I really like the art here. Uh, Ed Brizen did a good, great job scripting this. Jeff Spokes on the art is just amazing. Uh, the last chapter of this Stormwatch story had Peacekeeper One being infected with this with this virus, this Dead Sea pathogen. And basically, the, the director Bones is uh, in director Bones knows that Peacekeeper One can't be used. So he's directing the rest of Stormwatch uh, to uh, consisting of Core, Flint, Ravager, Shadow and Phantom One to essentially infiltrate uh, Halo headquarters to steal to basically uh, obtain malware. And malware is an enemy of Cyborg. And malware is this creature that's capable of infecting the human body and taking over the mind. And it's it's malware. It's like, it's like a mechanical computerized code that can infect the human body. Very dangerous, very powerful, a Justice League level threat. And Director Bones has, has his underling, his scientific uh, underling by the name of Husk, to provide him and build for him a Faraday cage, which they give to Stormwatch, and the Faraday cage can is uh, uh, can can house a an electrical creature without the electrical energy escaping in the in the Faraday in the Faraday cage, and unfortunately, Husk intentionally sabotages the Faraday cage so that when Ravager and Shadow and and uh, Core and Flint and Phantom One they go to use this to basically in to capture malware from the com- from the computer system within the Halo building, uh, malware escapes, and uh, in in order in incapacitating him, of course, it, it's very life threatening. But Shadow manages to use use an uh, electromagnetic uh, pulse arrow to incapacitate malware, and they manage to escape. The art's fanta- uh, The art is fantastic. The the choreography is great. The pacing is great. I'm. Um, this was very well done. I I think that uh, there's even some great dialogue. There's great dialogue scenes between uh, multiple parties here. Uh, I I particularly like Shadow. I like the conversation between Ravager and Phantom One at the end, and they even end up at the at a bar at the end. Their hangout is called Clark's Bar in Star City, and it's really cool. It's got a Superman symbol with a C in the middle of it called Clark's Bar, and you got to wonder if the person who owns the bar knows that Clark Kent is Superman because it's really a hell of a coincidence. But in any event, it's uh, I, I thought it, I thought it was a I thought it was a pretty good story. I liked the way it ended uh, because it ties in nicely with Night Terror's Ravager because it ends with Ravager leaving the team, not feeling feeling comfortable with what they did because they have sort of an they they have sort of an uncomfortable uh, an unwritten rule of lethal force, and she's not sure she's comfortable with that, and Phantom One wants her to stay, but she leaves. But that's just when the nightmare wave hits. And we know that Ravager goes down, and we know that at the end of Ravager Night Terrors number one, uh, we know that the Nightmare Wave incapacitates all of Stormwatch, and we know now what why Director Bones was forced to wake up Peacekeeper One and send him to 
that bar where Ravager wakes up at the end of Night Terror's Ravager. So uh, Ed Brizen did a good job here of sort of tying this in because this this issue, this ends, this story ends as a nice segue, sort of a prequel leading into Night Terror's Ravager for those who care and are paying attention. So I didn't mind it. So what do you think? Yeah, what I love most about what uh, Ed Brisson has been doing with Stormwatch is the fact that each one of the issues of Stormwatch that we've gotten so far has felt unique, has felt a, a little different than, um, you know, previous. I like that. I like that we're getting, um, you know, a real feel for this, uh, this team. And also within the story itself, we have characters, you know, common, uh, the new version of Stormwatch and what, you know, what they're capable of this and that. So yeah, it's, it's really working for me. I, I really am enjoying it. So uh, all right. What about the end of the uh, Christopher Christopher Cantwell uh, Superman story? What do you think of that? That I uh, this story, this actually, this final chapter redeemed the previous two the previous two stories to me. I, I still think this this story was. I think this story was almost too because like, there was two previous chapters to this, which were way too long, way too long. You really just need to read this final chapter to get the gist of the story. This renders all that, all this, so much decompression leading up to this. This, but this was actually very well done and leads to what I think could be a very interesting villain in the DC universe. And I think might be a villain to look out for because Hop Harrington is this unknown fighter ace pilot back in the 1940s that's completely forgot about and how could you, we could how could people completely forget about him well probably the same way that people could potentially forget about superman because the the main villain here is dr anthelm and he's got uh, he's perfected a memory erasure a memory erasure device where he can eliminate the collective memory of someone and he managed to have the entire world forget that hop harrington exists and as as this um, as he says, you know, he who controls memory controls the world, and to replace the collective consciousness uh, with his own agenda, and he's extremely powerful in that regard. And you know, it's it, it al- he almost reminded me like a Perman's version of Per Degaton. And I'm really wondering if if this is the guy, this Doctor Anthelm is the is the true villain behind the lost children. Uh, in 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 Jeff Johns, the Lost Children, because he's manages he manages to erase Hop Harrington from existence, and I'm wondering, you know, just how much power does this guy have? Because at the end of this issue, Hop Harrington and Superman manage to escape, but not before, but not before Superman is uh, Superman and, and uh, Hop Harrington. They end up crashing into the ocean. Hop Harrington disappears. And then Superman uh, is, reco- or, you know, Superman is, is fine and he's, he, but he's adrift and he's recovered and he wakes up and he doesn't remember anything. He doesn't remember what happened to him. And um, it's interesting because now Superman doesn't remember that adventure. So he doesn't remember that supervillain. So you got to wonder what else has this Dr. Anthelm done to be devious? What other hard, what other travesties? wrongdoings has he inflicted on the earth how many other heroes and 
are out there that are have been forgotten about because of the machinations of Dr. Anthelm. And it uh, really makes me wonder, is he related to the lost children and the child minder? And uh, I'm, again, this is a speculator alert. Uh, this is the first appearance of Dr. Anthelm. To my knowledge, this is a first. So I was very, very interested. Uh, I found this very, very interesting. Maybe I'm reading way too much into it, but I thought this was kind of cool. So kudos to Christopher Cantwell and the art. I, I enjoyed the art. I got to give credit to the artist, uh, Javier Rodriguez and his colors. I thought he did a pretty good job here, but cause I, I was bored in the previous chapters of this story. This made it all worth it. I just shouldn't have taken this long to get here. But. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, this story wasn't a story that we, we were spoon fed. You had to do a little bit of work. Um, but I thought a lot of what was done was was really interesting, especially by Javier Rodriguez, the the artist. Now I I subscribe to Christopher Cantwell's Substack, so maybe because of that, I was able to get a little more out of this in terms of understanding the setup and and that sort of thing. Because Cantwell did um, provide some context into you know his thought process and the way the pages were laid out and Harrigan's. Um, prison was, uh, or, or jail cell, whatever you want to call it, um, was, you know, right next to the room where the kryptonite was. So as Superman got closer to rescuing Hop Harrigan, uh, you know, he was getting weaker and weaker. So yeah, that, that, it just, all that worked for me on, on a lot of different levels. So, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, as far as Superman not remembering, yeah, it's sort of like, you know, what's the point of going on on the mission, right? And and it's funny because I think Hop Harrigan as a character has sort of been forgotten by everybody. You know, this golden age character from back in the day that doesn't have any superpowers, just a really good pilot. It's like what you know, what what really is there to say about him? Um so yeah, I thought it, it worked on a lot of levels and um, I, I'm a big fan of Christopher Cantwell. So, uh, yeah, I thought this was, was great. So, uh, what about the last story? All things considered by, uh, Colin Kelly and Jats Jackson Lansing. Uh, the art's fantastic. I didn't, uh, I didn't really find much to say. I, I thought it was a good city of monsters. Really good. Uh, Jorge, Jorge Molina. Molina on the art. Uh, really good. Uh, yeah, it just, it's kind of a one shot. It's just Superman take you know Superman, sorry, Batman taking on taking on seem to be some sort of demon of some kind and defeating him it's and then bat. it's a different version of Man Bat. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and there's and there's hints in the story of you know different versions of some of the, of some other characters as well. So it's you know, it's almost like just like they're refreshing Batman Beyond, it's almost like you, you know, this is a different, different part of the multiverse that we're going to get for, um, you know, for this a little bit different version of uh, of Batman. Um, and it's interesting because there seems to be some implication that this version of Bruce Wayne, this version of Batman, needs to let go of the past and stop dwelling so much on the loss of his parents, even to the point of they destroy. Uh, Wayne Tower, but this is a Wayne Tower that, you know, looks a little malevolent. I mean, the whole thing gives me a little bit of uh, like 1920s, 1930s vibe, you know, a little bit yeah. of that Art Deco era. Um, but if you look at the last page, you know, we see 
Bruce there. We see Alfred. Uh, and we see Batman. It's a little more svelte Batman, but we also see um, a different version of Selina. We see a different version of the Scarecrow. And, and again, they're not called that, right? It says the woman who offered escape. Oh, it's not uh, Catwoman. Sorry, it's Poison Ivy. The woman who offered escape in every blooming touch, right? Bloom, right. Ivy, flower. She's holding a little like Venus flytrap. The king of fears unknown. And again, uh, kind of a Art Deco version of the Scarecrow. Uh, and then the terrible scion in the onyx mask. So onyx being black. So we know that's black mask. Again, he's got an ornate sort of mask on. The man who laughed as, as thousands died. Clearly the Joker. Um, and before the final curtain, he will face them all until the only monster left in the city is her savior. So this is almost like, you know, Ron V has trying to been do, trying to do something very gothic in in Batman uh, and Detective Comics actually in his current run. Uh, but it's still in the main DCU, so he can only go so far. This seems to be Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly being able to go completely gothic to the point of what, what Man Bat looks like, as Rocky said, like a demon more so than anything else. Even the the uh, Batmobile we get here that's being driven by this version of Batman from Jorge Molina with almost these bat gargoyle-like creatures uh over the headlights and, and like a hood el uh, emblem. And just, I mean, it's just gorgeous. And for me, if there's any writers who have really shown that you need to pay attention to what they're doing lately, it's Lansing and Kelly. I mean, they have been absolutely killing it. They, they had a Star Trek signing, you know, they're writing the, the main Star Trek book for IDW. They had a Star Trek signing that was supposed to go for an hour uh, along with Christopher Cantwell. Cause they're doing the day of blood crossover right now. Yeah. They signed for two hours. The line just wouldn't, just didn't stop. And instead of, and luckily they had the time to do that. And kudos to them because they were under no, uh, you know, their signing was only for an hour. Um, and yeah, they had a line. And I talked to uh, to Jackson the, the next day, uh, and I was like, dude, I, I went by your signing. I was going to say hi, but you guys were signing for two straight hours. He goes, yeah, I know it was crazy. Uh, it was absolutely amazing. So clearly they're doing something right. They're uh, they have Thunderbolts coming up from Marvel soon. Uh, they just finished their Captain America run. Um, those guys are, they're just killing it. So uh, I really hope this is the prelude of something to come. And uh, it better have the Jorge Molina art because this is black and white uh, and with gray tones and oh, gorgeous. Yeah. It is gorgeous. gorgeous. I mean, yeah, yeah, for sure. On, on every on every page, it, it feels uh, like there's just, it's so moody. It, it's so, yeah, it's it, I, I'm blown away. Absolutely blown away. Yeah. No. So anything, uh, anything else to add on that one? Uh, no, it's just, uh, you, you know, again, I, I guess my, my only, cons my only comment is it's just, I don't know how many people are buying Brave and the Bold. And uh, I mean, I, I, it is a common, it's a popular name title. It has a lot of classic history behind it, but how many people are buying this? It's a very expensive, uh, comic book compilation I, I fear that you know we, we get a lot of batman as it is but this is definitely one of the better like artistically this is something that would really shine if it was a, its own comic book but i gotta say i would i would like this as its own comic i would like Stormwatch to have its own comic <laughs> i would have liked christopher cantwell's story to be, have been shorter and had its own 24 page comic or 36 maybe a, a one shot but you know those 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 aren't the times that we live in anymore with comic book uh publications out of dc being what they are i guess but uh well 
And anyway, this was probably this particular Brave and the Bold. Maybe you're getting more bang for your buck than you normally would because this was probably one of the better weeks for Brave and the Bold. And it didn't have a Tom King story in it. Yeah, I think to answer your question, I think a lot of people are buying it because of that Tom King story. Uh, and there's probably any number of people that aren't going to realize they're going to buy it because it's Brave and the Bold. And they're going to think they're going to get the next part of the Joker story. And that's not going to be in there. Maybe yeah. they'll be disappointed. Maybe not. Um I mean, if they're obviously if they're buying it for the Joker story, they're going to be disappointed. Um, yeah. But hopefully, they're going to take the time to read what what is in here because I think overall it was uh, a good week for for Brave and the Bold. Yeah. Uh, all right. Up next, we have uh, Poison Ivy uncovered, which is basically a uh, a, a an ivy. How can I put it? Uh, Just all her it, it covers. A bunch of vari- yeah, it, coll- it collects a bunch of um, IV cover variant covers. Um, so, is it? Do you feel like these are necessary at all, or does it just feel like a bit mm. of a cash grab to you? Well, I. Well, yeah, I guess maybe a cash grab. I mean, there's a lot that's just a cash grab in my mind. I, I'm, I'm trying to bring up some of the covers here. I will say this that. One of the good things about these cover galleries, which I do think that they should be free. I think that these uncovered should be given away free on free comic book day uh, or should be a dollar or two dollars because this is material that's already been done. It's a redundancy. We shouldn't you shouldn't be paying regular price at all for this. Uh, because these are things that have already been uh, displayed elsewhere. And quite frankly, we deserve it because we, we tolerate the nonsense of variant covers, which are overpriced, cardstock covers, which are, are an extra dollar, and ratio variants, which are obscenely priced. And so uh, we, it's nice to have those all collected in a particular compilation like this. And I mean, I get, I get it. They got to, they got to charge, but I don't mind it. I, I, I do think I like the collection of, of the art. I, I, I do think that's a good thing so that we can so people can experience it like that but I do think it's a, kind of a missed uh uh, uh I like I don't I don't buy this. I don't I didn't I don't buy these things cuz I got I probably own a lot of the covers anyway. But what are you do you are you into this sort of thing? You know, yes and no. It is a chance to own the um these variant covers where, you know, if a lot of them are ratio variants, there's people that just can't afford or their comic shop doesn't order enough to qualify for the, the ratio variants. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, if you want to own a particular cover, um, is it enough to just be able to, I mean, you can find an image of the cover online, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I, I even tell myself sometimes when I, you know, God, don't stop spending money. I don't like where we're going. The uh, variant covers are kind of artificially propping things up. That's not a good thing uh, for the health of the industry in my mind. Um, so, you know, there is the part of me that thinks that we, you know, we shouldn't be doing it and I shouldn't be um, supporting it by buying any of them. Uh, especially, like I said, when you can just um, get a, get a digital image of it, you know, for free, basically. Um, but then at the same time, you're not, you're not really supporting. So I don't know. I can see, it, I can see it going both ways, uh, I guess. Um, but anyway, uh, it is what it is. If you like the poison Ivy covers, if you want to go check them out you want to own them, um, in some fashion, 
you can uh, you can buy that Poison Ivy uncovered. As far as collections this week, we have Batman Gotham Knights Gilded City hardcover. Uh, that's the one that had what was the guy the Runaway I think his name was back in the 1800s, and then had some modern day shenanigans going on that were um, tied into that. And we also have Batman the Knight, which was uh, it's a hardcover, pretty good story. Uh, Bursky art by Carmen A. Dijon Domenico. Uh, we thought it was going to be this sort of broad overview of uh, Bruce's training around the world, but it ended up being a little bit more of an intimate story than that. Um, but kind of a prelude to what Zdarsky's doing in Batman now. Although there's no practice uh, of him jumping through the moon uh, from the moon, he doesn't get trained by anybody. Um, that was a that was a popular topic of conversation amongst uh, other content comic book content creators and myself at San Diego Comic-Con, uh, me bringing that up, how absolutely ludicrous it was. And I, I I will say I was in the minority. There was a lot of people that really loved the fact that Batman basically jumped from the moon. And uh, <laughs> I, I didn't understand it. I was like, man, I, it just doesn't make any sense. And they're like, it's comics, whatever. It was fun. I didn't find it. So uh, again, you can go back and listen to me rant about it. It's so yeah. ludicrous, but. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I didn't mind it. Uh, I, I actually, I, I had a lot of fun with it myself, you know. But uh, yeah, but, yeah, I, I, just I, it was, yeah. I just thought it was stupid. But anyway, uh, we know. <coughs> excuse me. We know what Rocky's book of the week is. Um, for myself, I'm going to give the nod to Batman: Brave and the Bold. Um, on the strength of that, uh, can't uh, uh, yeah, the Cantwell story, how it ended. I thought there, there's a lot of potential there for more. Uh, even if we did get a cliche at the end um, where it's at the, the end, you know, question mark, like, is this really the end? Cause we know there could be plenty more to that story. The Stormwatch uh, story so far, the Stormwatch uh, anthology has been fantastic uh, from Ed Brisson. Love the Mr. Baseball story from Dennis Culver and, and that possible prelude to something n- coming that's very gothic from uh, Lansing and Kelly with Jorge Molina art. So every one of those stories was well above average. Like, you know, if you want to talk about, okay, you know, what's possible in an anthology, um, that's very impressive. That's very impressive. Every one of those stories, that's, that's typically not the case. You know, usually you'll get one, if not more, that's only average, but every one of those stories in that issue was just uh, was just fantastic. So I got to give my nod to, to Brave and the Bold. Um, you know, I did consider uh, Last Days of Lex Luthor because that's fantastic as well. But being that you picked it, it definitely freed me up to uh, to give my yeah. nod to Brave and the Bold. Well, it's 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 definitely a spiritual successor to Birthright. Mark Wade hits it out of the park again. Uh, just really good. Reminds it reminds people of what Superman stands for. And sometimes what I love about it is that. It, it annoys me a little bit that Superman is so damn righteous all the time, but he's right. He puts he puts the lives of all of us ahead of even himself. And even if uh, he, he's not, even if it's a supervillain, he'll do what has to be done to help them and protect them. And that's that's what makes him uh, the the greatest superhero of all time. So you know, kudos to Mark Wade for reminding us of that. Yeah, no doubt, hundred percent. So, okay. uh, all right. Well, everybody, like I said, there will be. Plenty of San Diego Comic-Con content coming up um, throughout the rest of the week. Uh, be sure to check it out. Also, be sure you've subscribed to Rocky's YouTube channel, Comic Space Boom! Exclamation point, to check out uh, all our previous DC Spotlights and the other content Rocky's putting out. 
if you check us out on YouTube and you're curious about the other uh, audio only content from the comic source, just go to wherever you get your podcast, do a search for the comic source and subscribe. And if anybody is listening uh, that I met at San Diego Comic-Con, Hey, thanks for coming up. Thanks for saying hi. Um, I know there's plenty of people that'll be reaching out about their uh, content they want to come on and talk about. So yeah, don't hesitate to, uh, to hit me up. So uh, appreciate the support as always, everybody. And we'll talk to you next time. Catch you later. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.